Salabona, and thanks for listening. Welcome to the Wines of South Africa podcast. I'm U.S. Marketing Manager Jim Clark. In each episode, we explore some aspect of South African wine. We talk with winemakers, winery owners, and other members of South Africa's vibrant wine industry, and we also give a sommelier a chance to share their impression of the wines. In this episode, we'll be looking at one of the historic districts of the winelands, Franschhoek. Its long history is reflected in its name, which means French Corner. When Louis XIV revoked the Edict of Nantes in 1685, ending religious toleration in France, many Huguenots fled. The Dutch, being of similar mind, were inclined to help, and allowed a number of Huguenots to settle in what was then the Cape Colony. Many of them came to the Drakenstein Valley, what we call Franschhoek today. You can see that legacy in many of the family and winery names, as we'll find in just a moment, when we hear from a few of the valley's producers. One, a property named Chamonix, and also a winemaker named Jacques. I believe to be a estate producer in Franschhoek gives you an upper hand as in a small wine estate. I think you can work more site-specific. You've got consistency coming from each block each year on year. You know what fruit you're going to get from that block, how to handle it, what type of barrels you can use, for instance, and what works best. And you can pinpoint certain aromas and flavors that you want in your wine. And I think it's just a big advantage working site-specific and being a stage, yeah. My name is Neil Oubliver, um, the winemaker of Chamonix Wine Estate, also the viticulturist. Chamonix is a, a wine estate in Franschhoek. We produce boutique wines from Burgundy straight through Bordeaux varietals. We do about 90,000 cases a year. Chamonix is one of the biggest farms, but also producing only state wines. Chamonix was founded in 1991. The late Chris Hellinger bought the farm. The farm was first just a fruit farm. There was a little bit of vineyards on the farm. We use the one vineyard now. We make an old chenin from it, old stien. It was planted back in 1965. His idea was to create a burgundy-style wine farm. So he moved a lot of the orchards, planted a lot of new vineyards. On the farm, everything was thawed out because the farm, the elevation on the farm is quite high. So he started planting more like a Chardonnays and Pinots. On the top side of the farm, it's more the sun only comes over the mountain later in the afternoon, so it's more ideal for that type of varietals. And at the lower part of the farm where it's warmer, you get more your red Bordeaux varietals. So after that, the cellar was also opened in 1994. So that's when the first wine was actually produced from Chamonix. And from there, we started building it up as a, a luxury game wine farm. There's a lot of animals on the farm, wild animals on the farm, a lot of accommodation on the farm. There was water plants that he opened on the farm because there's a natural spring coming out of the mountains. So there's a lot more to it than just wine. My name is Alexis. I'm the sales manager for Topiary Wine Estate since July 2019. I'm from France, as you can hear, because the, the winery is owned by Philippe Collin, who is a French Burgundian renowned winemaker from his own domain, Philippe Collin in Chassan-Morachet. And he took over the winery back in 2014. And now he's 100% the owner and the winemaker here. So he makes the wine here. He comes here every two or three months and uh, he manages everything in the cellar. And my job is mostly to get Topiary renowned and do the exports things and communication and all that stuff here. Let's talk about the name quickly. So Topiary comes from the art of building trees into special forms like animals or humans or anything. So it's really gardener art and the farm is called that because we have a lot of them on the farm. Basically, the farm is on 65 hectares of property with 20 hectares of vineyards, which is divided in three grape varieties, Chardonnay, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Syrah. We have the Chardonnay on the slopes, on the sand slopes, and the Syrah, which is more on the flat side, more rocky and a little bit more warm during the summer. So it's good because we have time to harvest. We have time to do the Chardonnay first and the Reds later in the month. 
and uh, everything is done on the cellar. We don't do anything outside. We press everything here. We have our aging room for barrels and everything. And on the farm, we have also a restaurant, some accommodation, a tasting room. And we have a beautiful view on the Simonsburg Mountains and a lot of mountains around. So it's quite beautiful here. So first, Philippe just came to South Africa to visit. Like he heard a lot of good things about the country and he came to visit once and say, whoa, I have to find something here just to make some wine because it's good to have the six months difference between Burgundy and South Africa so you can make the both harvest easily during the year. And he came back a few months later to find something. He visited a few farms and when he saw Topiary, it just became enchanted with the farm. It was just beautiful view, beautiful cellar, really well designed for the tanks and the barrels and beautiful view. It was not a very renowned farm, but they were making good rosé, good Shiraz, good really heavy wines, but it was making good wine earlier, even if the winery was not very known, but it was good. So he said, okay, that's for me. <laughs> so he, he bought the farm and after that, he just started to improve his quality because he didn't know to make Syrah or Cabernet because he's Chardonnay and Pinot Noir maker. But years after years, he just learns and every year he learns about the souls, about the terroir, about a lot of things like that. So now he is happy with his decision to buy something in South Africa. The farm was planted around the year 2000. And they make an analysis of the soils in 1998, just before planting these vines. And for now, we didn't change any vines because it's, they are still good. It's like now 21 years old, so it starts to be good age for vineyards. Not too young, not too old. But for now, we didn't plant anything else here. It was already planted like that. And Philippe was happy with the clones and with the type of fruits they use. It didn't have any reason to change it. My name is Jacques Wenzel. I'm the winemaker and one of the owners at Black Elephant Vintners. We're based in Franschhoek, down in the Western Cape in South Africa. Black Elephant Vintners started making wine back in 2012, launched our first stuff in, in, in 2013, and I guess started out focusing really on producing wine in Franschuk. In some way, the business has, has progressed a little bit. Franschuk is only so big and one or two of the brands that we own had to slightly grow outside of the borders of the valley. But essentially, we turned a lot of our focus onto the production of Cap Classique. That was really the plan from the start to the extent that we added four new lines of bubbly at the end of 2019. Then we do two whites, a couple of reds, and all in all about 14 different wines at the moment. We've got two partners in the business, Kevin Swart and Raymond Nglovu. That's also where the name comes from. Swart meaning black, Nglovu, elephant in the African tongue. I'm the vintner. My, I always say my surname is not a color or animal. It's just to complete the name, black elephant vintners. And I think we're a bit left field. We try and have a lot of fun while we're doing this. We do a lot of wine tastings here. And when we talk to people, we always say that the wine world's so fixated on what's inside of the bottle, and that's correct. That's fine. But for us, that's a given. We'll never bottle something that we don't believe in. But there's also opportunities to have fun on the outside and to brand stuff. We try and bring fun to the wine industry. We also do music and wine pairings at our tasting room. And I guess it's also just our way of saying to people that wine's for everybody. You need to relax and you need to have fun. And bringing music to the experience is just a way of evening the playing field and making people comfortable and also engaging another sense. As you can hear, we're talking to three different producers, each with different specialties. That diversity isn't arbitrary. Rather, it reflects the varied terrain and geographic features of Franschhoek itself. There's different valleys within the Franschhoek Valley. There's sort of a mountain in the middle. Then there's another valley. Then we've got a mountain and then we've got the dam. And there's a wind that sort of churns in the valley. And that's also got an influence on the different microclimates. And I think we've got three main soil types here. 
uh, one the alluvial soils, secondly what I like to call table mountain sandstone, which is very close to beach sand, and some decomposed granite up close to the mountain. So the black elephant, we source all of our fruit except for the cab from the high-lying vineyards. That's got obviously a high percentage of decomposed granite. I've always preferred those soils. I think they produce more concentrated wines, more nuanced wines, more perfumed wines, wines with more freshness. And that's what we're looking for. I tend to steer clear of the valley floor. Obviously, the, there's more sand there. I think there's more reflection. It's slightly warmer. And I think you lose acidity and, and freshness. But again, that's only me. There's guys that farm down the road here, only on decomposed sand soil. And they make really cool Chardonnays. But they've worked it out. And maybe it, because it's such a focus for them, they know what they're doing. I've got a whole range of wines. And for me, higher elevation vineyards suits our style and our winemaking processes. The elevation of the farm starts at the bottom about 300, 320 meters above sea level. And then as we go up, you go up to about 620 meters above sea level. So Chardonnays and Pinots, if you think of an Arda Valley coastal regions, they want that, they do best in that climate. So being in Franschhoek in winter times, there's obviously a lot of snow. It can get cold here. And only with the sun shining, let's say, 30 minutes past 10, that cool air stays there. So that's good for that varietals that we use on top. Even though at nighttime we're in the valley, so all that cold air gets blown down into the farm and Chamonix sits on top into that corner, on top of the pass. So all that cold air blows straight down to Chamonix. So that's also good. We get that cool climate by night, but like a day... In the middle of summer, it can get to 40, 40, 42, 43 degrees. So you get a bit of both. And that actually makes Chamonix a very special microclimate place. Not even Chamonix, but also Franschhoek. There's a lot of microclimates straight through Franschhoek that makes this valley special. So that's why we decided to plant a lot of the Pinot Noirs, the Chardonnays, at the high end of the farm. It's later sunshine. They only get maybe the afternoon sun. And it's also good for ripening phase it slows the ripening phase a bit you want that in that chardonnay and that pinot noir and then also the sun can strike the bigger varietals like cabernet sauvignon cabernet franc down that needs that sun to ripen more and bring out flavors and that's planted at the bottom at the warmer side of the farm we've got a lot of different soil types on chamonix at the bottom we've got clay soils we've got sandstone we've got sandy loam soils we've got granite soils and then we've got feldspar soils so the feldspar soils is like a mineral sandstone type of soil it's actually called feldspat but we call it feldspar and then we've got a bit of granite also that's mainly spread out through the farm so at the bottom side you will get more the gray wacky the granite at the middle part, you will get more that feldspar, that sandy loam, and then at the higher end where it's actually more, but where there will be a more clay type soil. But everywhere throughout, there's a little bit of each. So it's, it's very diversified, the soil. And a lot of our wines that we produce is named after this because some of the Pinot Noir vineyards, one of our wines, it's called Pinot Noir feldspar. And then we've got a pinotage that's named after a grey wacky. It's because that granite patch goes through some of the vineyards. The water supply, if I can put it that way, on Chamonix and in Franchouk, it's one of the highest rainfall areas in the Western Cape. On Chamonix side, we're very rich in water. But just across on the other side, it's one of the heaviest or the most rainfall in the Western Cape. So that's on Bukenet's Kloof side. So it just shows you the microclimates again in Franschhoek. But from Chamonix side, we've got Bartis Kloof Dam just behind us. So there's a reason they built the dam there because there's a lot of water coming. And even though with the rain, Chamonix, we get about 800 millimeters to 850 millimeters of rain per year. So there's a lot of water on the farm. But the reason they started bottling spring water was because there was a natural spring that they found coming from the mountains above Chamonix. And I know to bottle water, you need to be in a certain radius from a natural spring. And we've got waterfalls flowing on Chamonix. There's about four, three different waterfalls. And that waterfall, they don't stop. Even through the drought, there will always be a, a little stream coming and going down. It's amazing to see how much water there is in Franschhoek and on Chamonix itself.
Wind is something really important here. It's also important for the disease. So you have less mildew and oidium because the wind blows out the microbes and everything. So that's a good thing to work with. It cools down the grapes during harvest. That's just not during harvest because during harvest it's warm, but like previous harvest, it's good. And we can harvest early in the morning. It's usually cooler and a little bit wet with the morning. Actually, if you want to make lighter bodied wine, it's good to be in front of. The difference of our vineyards is mainly between the Chardonnay and the Shiraz. The soil is super sandy on the slope. It's very deep on the sand and you don't find rocks for almost a meter there. So it's very typical aromas. Also, the temperature is a little bit colder up there. It's not that high, but it's super windy in French and South Africa, especially in the beginning of the season. It's super windy. And so it's a little bit cool. And with that, Philippe can make the style of Chardonnay he likes. He doesn't want to make heavy, high alcohol Chardonnay. He wants to keep the same style than he does in Burgundy. So it's mostly fresh between 13 and 13.5 alcohol with some acidity. And that's why the Chardonnay on the slope is very good. That's the only vineyard we have of Chardonnay. It's a single vineyard, just 2.5 hectares. So it's not big. And if we go to the Shiraz, it's more dry. Of course, it has less wind. It covers better trees and... The soils are a little bit rockier, so you have a lot of different types of rocks. And also for the water, it's good because it, we had a lot of rain these previous two or three years, so we didn't have really to irrigate or anything, so that was good. And we are quite happy because we, we can make different style of wines on different type of terroir, and that's not something really developed in South Africa for now, terroir. Some big wineries do it, like some big nine, but we can see, we did for the first time this year, different tank of different wine block, and we can really see the difference between the taste of Shiraz from block seven and Shiraz from block eight. So it's quite interesting to see how it goes here because it's very different style, different flavors, different everything. I personally started my winemaking career as a chief winemaker or head winemaker at a winery down the road here called Morrison. Morrison had a lot of Chardonnay, Chenin and Sauvignon Blanc on the farm, which really suited the farm and, and the friendship climate. And we always bought whatever red we needed from other areas, Stellenbosch, Paul, Swartland, even a little bit from Felierstor and Robertson. And after about five years, I moved on because I felt I needed to do something different. But I've always had the interest and the need to explore what Franschuk can offer in terms of red. So I ended up coming back here in 2011. And I guess we all know that guys like Bukenotes and Chamonix has been incredibly successful with some of their reds. And uh, Bukenotes with their where cabs have and Chamonix with quite a variety. They do Pinot and Cab and they do blends. So there's a real opportunity here, but it's been overlooked and it's always been thrown into the court of, I guess, the Stellenbosch and, and the areas that's got different soil types. So for me, it was really just curiosity and also not wanting to do what everybody else is doing. The, the guys in Stellenbosch do what they do and that's fine. The, the Swartland's been incredibly successful with their own varieties and, and especially Syrah, but there's a lot of people doing that already. So we started out making some Pinotage. From Franschuk, I found an incredibly cool block of finitage up on a slope, actually just above the old vine semiol that we use for our dark side of the vine. The semiol was planted in 1905, by the way. Someone had the foresight to plant a block of bush vine semiol just above that. And we've been making some incredible wine from that vineyard. Syrah seems to work well here. It makes a different style. I think all in all, Franschuk makes more restrained, really elegant red wines. We've got really cool natural acidity in our wines. The wine seems to need a bit more time. We've been on our farm doing incredibly well with Cab Sav as well. And again, it's not a, a big, bold cab, but everything is there. The wine's classic. It's got a whole lot of finesse and they seem to last as well because 
I think it's slightly cooler here. There's lots of water in the mountains. We're surrounded by two big dams. We always seem to have a little bit of a breeze in the afternoon. That brings a bit of a differentiation between the night and day temperatures. We've got enough wheat here, uh, that I can promise you, but we definitely have a bit of a cooling effect, which is great. And I think with our soil types, we retain a lot of acidity. We've got nice free-draining soils, and, and the wines are always very fresh. And maybe coming back for me, it was just a real curiosity to try and explore what Franchu can offer in, in terms of red. We do a little bit of petit syrah. You guys are quite familiar with Petit Syrah in the States, and we don't see it that often, especially down here in, in Franschhoek, but it's such a cool grape, and we've always used the same vineyard. It was back in 2012, and I just thought to myself, sure, we have to make something from this. South Africans, we're just going to bowl them over, and whenever I open a bottle to someone, they end up buying it. It's just such a cool wine, and I always say... <laughs> When we do the tastings, I'm a very big Foo Fighters fan and we always need to have that music connection when we're doing these tastings. For me, tasting the Petit Syrah is like when Dave Grohl gets on the drum and it just plays a different tune. We also do a bit of Grenache and Vionir. We've got this label called The Backroads, which is a bit more about discovery and finding interesting vineyards or stories or growers and also challenging people and getting them to drink outside their norm. Viennese is known and Grenache is known and it's becoming more known in South Africa, but getting people to taste and experience those wines. And then the last one we do is our Amazing Grace Cab Sav, which is made from vineyards that we own and farm ourselves. And we took over the piece of land in 2011 and the previous owner lost interest and neglected, didn't even harvest the last two vintages. So took us about three years to get the vineyard up and running again, but it's vine's got a strong heart and it's very giving and it seems to be happy where it is now. We've also added a younger block, which really came into production this year and it's really looking promising. Innocence is uh, our new baby, if I may say. It's the uh, first vintage, the 2017 Innocence, which is a blend of Cabernet Sauvignon and Shiraz. So it's 66% Cabernet and 34% Shiraz. And this wine was just an idea that Philip had because we are only making a single varietal wine, so Chardonnay, Syrah, and Cabernet. And Philip wanted to try something else. And he made this blend, but he didn't know if he will make 50-50 or 30-70 or whatever. And we did blind tasting of three different wines, three different blends, and we agreed on the 66 34, so it's about two-thirds of Cabernet and one-third of Shiraz. And every year will be different because the typicity of, of the wine is different every year. For the 18, it will be about the same, two-thirds Cabernet Syrah. And it's really made separately, aged for 12 to 14 months in barrels, with only 15% new, so nothing big. We don't want to be that too wooded. We want something really fruity, enjoyable, not too heavy, and that's something that everybody can drink. And the funny story is a lot of people told me, oh, I don't like Cabernet, so I won't like this wine. I say, oh, taste it. And people just drink it because it's not... You don't feel the Cabernet sides that you don't like, the green side or the tannins. It's super smooth and quite easy to drink and goes with mostly everything. So we, in, in a sense, was really a good splash in Europe and especially, and we were super excited to see it in the U.S. And it was, I think it was a good start with the U.S. So we want to continue with this wine. And it's very interesting to add that in our range because a blend is something Philip didn't know because he's making only single varietal. And this is a good discovery. We just did a tasting of the 2019 Innocence and it's going to be good too. We will only release the 2018 Innocence for now. We don't release our wine too early. For example, now here on the farm, we only release the Sierra 16 and the Cabernet 16 because we want to keep the reds in cellar in the bottle before to release it because we don't want to rush. We want the wine to be ready to be drank and not decant for hours or keep in the cellar for years. We want the wine to be just bought, open, drink. You can keep it, of course. It's It has a, a aging potential, but if people want to drink it 
quickly. That's mostly the case in South Africa because a lot of people just drink quickly their wine. When I say quick, it's like in a year time. So that's why we release our wine a little bit later and we are working on older vintages because we don't want to rush it. So that's something. Except the Chardonnay because we don't make a lot of it. So we have to sell it. But the red, yeah, it's, we want to keep it. We see more and more rosé, and that's what Philippe saw when he came here. He said, okay, I have to do a good rosé, not a light, easy drinking, too easy drinking rosé. And so a rosé made from 100% Shiraz, that's quite good because your rosé will have some structure, some body, and won't be too light or like what we call in in France, we say a pool rosé, you know, just to drink at the pool and you don't even feel what it is so we are making this rosé with some structure and now we see in French Oak Valley and around a lot of good roses coming up and it's good to increase the quality of this wine because that's something really popular in US I believe and in Europe rosé is something that South Africa is really picking up as well and I think they will become a great producer of rosé country in, in the next years because it's really something picking up more affordable wine but it's good to to try to make some Shiraz rosé like we do and to keep it in tank for longer so you have more structure and some aromas and it's not just fruits and easy to drink so yeah so Chardonnay so you are now in the US with the 2019 vintage but we will move on the 2020. So Chardonnay is made after 12 months in oak barrels, but only in 450 liter barrels. We, we use only these big barrels because as I said earlier, we want to make not a heavy wine, but a more light wine and not too wooded. So that's why Philippe uses only big barrels. He does the same in Burgundy. So that's why he, he uses that. And after we put the wine in tank for a little bit just to recreate a good blend and to have a good acidity and a good balance of every characters of the wine. But we only produce about 4,500 bottles of the Chardonnay, so it's quite confidential production. And USA gets quite a good amount of the Chardonnay because it's quite popular there. The focus on the wines of Chamonix was at the beginning mainly Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. So, like I mentioned earlier, the idea when they started the farm was a Burgundy style or inspired wine farm. At the moment, we do three Chardonnays. This year, we made a fourth Chardonnay of a fourth style. So, we do an unoaked Chardonnay that's a more crisp, fresher style of Chardonnay to more introduce the type of fruit Chardonnay can produce without the influence of wood. So then we do a lighter style of Chardonnay that's wooded. And then we do a reserve Chardonnay that's the more wooded Chardonnay. It's uh, the bigger fellow out of the three. And then we also started this year producing a Blanc de Blanc MTC. That's also from Chardonnay. And that's actually made from our older 33-year-old block, which is our oldest Chardonnay block on the farm. So the vignettes on Chamonix is quite old. So there's a lot of concentration and fruit coming from our Chardonnays, and that's why we express three to four different styles of it. And the same on the Pinot Noir side. This year we started with a Pinot Noir Rosé. That's just clean, fresh, nice floral to express the fruit of Pinot Noir, and then we do also two wooded Pinot Noirs. A lightly wooded one, easy drinking Pinot Noir, and then we do a more the serious Pinot Noir that's got a bit more structure, a bit heavier than the normal Pinot Noir. And then from there we do two to three different Bordeaux style wines. We've got two Bordeaux blends and then obviously we also focus a lot on Cabernet Franc. So there's quite a big range on Chamonix. We've got about 11 different varietals on the farm and we produce about 12 to 13 different wines. And then also we do a, a old Weinstein that we did now which is that 55 year old block of Chenin Blanc. So that's also something we added to the range. We joined the Old Vine Project in 2020. That was the first year we produced a wine from that block. So we registered it, and this year will be the second vintage of that wine. It's about 0.5 hectares in size. We get about a ton 
to two tons of grapes from that. So it's not a lot. So last year we did about 600 bottles. This year we got the vineyard up to do about 1,500 bottles. So hopefully we can maintain that throughout the coming years because it's a very old vineyard. We've got incredibly valuable old semi-old vineyards in the valley. Vineyards that were planted in 1902, 1903. The one that we used was planted in 1905. And if you want to make semi-old, then the vines need to be mature. And that's something that maybe as a valley, we're starting to push a bit. We're all trying to figure out what makes Franschuk tick and semi-old something that, that we have. And we're starting to own that. I think for me, particularly with the vineyard that we work with, the vineyard knows much more than we'll ever do about making wine. And we really approach it with a hands-off approach. We try and pick the grapes when we think it's ready. And with Semior, it's really crucial to retain acidity because it's it's got almost no acidity and you can lose whatever is there overnight. So that's really crucial for us. And in some years... Our current release of that particular wine is 2017, and 2017 was a really cool vintage, and we ended up with only 12% alcohol. The 16 and 15 was closer to 13 and a half, and 14 was still good acidity. So it's really just capturing the vintage and it's making sure the wine is nice and fresh. I always try and keep my wine quite fresh. There are very oxidative styles, which is super interesting, and I guess there's more sort of classic semi-oil styles as well i show you a bit more of the terpenes which is also quite interesting there's varying vineyards around and there's some of the vineyards that has a little bit of the semi-greek coming through because of the age and the one that we use also has that and we don't separate them out just pick the green with the, the white grapes and i think it just adds a, a different layer of complexity and a bit of spice to the wine what i can say maybe is that i don't think semi that comes from the cooler climates in, in south africa can be very close to Kiwi Sauvignon Blanc. The style that we, we first saw when those wines became so popular. And then if you go to the other spectrum, the old wines from Tilbach, those semiols tend to have more almost of the kerosene, waxy, beeswax character. I think French semiol is a bit more neutral, a bit more floral, sometimes a bit more spicy. It's got a bit more grip and definitely benefits from aging. But there's a whole range of styles available and I guess there's some winemaker influence that comes through as well. But definitely for the black elephant wine, we try and steer clear from that. We use minimal oak, natural ferments, a little bit of sulfur no filtration, so a complete hands-off approach. So we've got a wine called Two Dogs, a Peacock and Oars. It's a Sauvignon Blanc from the valley, and we've had to start sourcing outside of the valley as well the last two vintages because the valley is only so big, and we were pretty much buying all the decent quality Sauvignon that was around, thanks to the customers in the States that's really buying up all the Sauvignon Blancs. It's always been a really fun wine to make, and when you see the label it's our way of saying that wine's for everybody and you should be having fun when you're drinking it so it's a pool party wine and we always say you don't require any intelligence to drink the wine it's just a summer wine you've got another wine that we started out really making for the states it's a rosé we call it the rosé rebel it's got the pink camo thing going on it's also starting to do quite nicely over in your market and then the third wine that we also added last year. It's called Three Men in a Tub with a Rubber Duck. <laughs> and the name also originates from one of the shop owners in New York that used to call our agents over there. And every time he ordered two dogs, he had a different name. And that got relayed to us. And we ended up saying, this name is too good. It needs to be a label. So it's basically a Cab Merlot blend. And I think... The intention was to have a red wine that sells bottle for bottle with the two dogs. And even though we launched it last year, March, just before lockdown, it's getting there. It's doing really well. When we started making wine in 2012, we did a Sauvignon Blanc, a Syrah, Pinotage, and one Bubbly. I think the intention was always to grow the Bubbly range. We started out doing a Chardonnay Pinot Noir blend in 2012 launched end of 2014 and back then we only made 5,000 bottles of it and we were 
entering the market at 225 rand a bottle, which was unheard of at that stage. And people were saying, no, you're crazy. You're never going to sell a bottle. We've never had an issue to sell any of our wines. Since then, that particular wine has grown to about 45,000 bottles. And we subsequently added a rosé, 100% Pinot Noir. We've also added two Chardonnays, different styles from slightly cooler, slightly warmer region. And I think the reason for that is I've always thought that the varietal gets lost in the process. And a lot of people don't really know that they're drinking Chardonnay or Pinot Noir when they're drinking Cup Cassique or sparkling wine. So I just wanted to showcase two different vineyards and the one from the warmer really gives you that sort of yellow peaches and butteriness that you associate with Chardonnay. The cooler one is more tight and austere and a little bit more mineral. And then we also have a Blanc de Blanc. We only do about six to eight hundred bottles. And so we're really trying to fine tune and, and get down to what the vineyard's about. And we follow all the proper protocols and we only use the top quality juice and age it in barrels and then another eight years in the bottle. Just trying to push the boundaries there of what we can do with Chardonnay in the valley. We've seen year-on-year growth in sales of Bobby in South Africa of about 35%, if I'm correct. And the last two years, there's been a real interest in South African Cup Physique worldwide. I've just sent my biggest order to the States and then a bigger one to the UK. And we've just sent our biggest order ever to Denmark. I think I have to thank and congratulate guys like Peter Ferreira. He's doing a good job flying the flag for South African Bobby. So that's encouraging and we were always heading that way. I think it fits the profile of the valley and there's a couple of guys that started maybe five, six years ago. I'm talking about Paul Mind and the loot that really focuses on only doing bubbly bubbly is a part of our range, but it's a real love of mine. And number two, Franschuk is a tourist destination and there's beautiful places around here and there's venues and people come here to get married and they come here to celebrate. And obviously there's the French heritage and the influence that was passed on from the 17th century. The soil type, the climate, the essence of the valley. Like I say, people come here to celebrate and, and to have a great time. And that's what Bobby's all about. On Chamonix, it is a game farm. So it attracts a lot of tourism to the farm. They offer a lot of different accommodation. And we've got game drives. We've got restaurants here on the farm and even the wine tasting. But Chamonix is quite high up. So we participate in all the local festivals in Franschhoek, Uncorked, Bastille, and then we try to participate. But the wine jam also in Franschhoek helps to bring tourism up to Chamonix itself. Franschhoek is known for the wines, and it's known for the small boutique wineries, the wine and dine type of town. But all the wineries around it, it's all boutique wineries. And the one side of it, it's very well known for MCC, Kaplasik. You got the Lude, you got Kolmant, you got Art Cabriere. So there's a lot of big farms doing that. And then on the one side, not a lot of wine farms in Franschhoek do Pinot Noir. I think there's about three, maybe four wine farms. But then the grape of Franschhoek again is Semyon. There's a lot of old vineyards of Semyon in Franschhoek Valley. And there's a handful of wineries that still produce that old vine Semyon again. So I think... Franchuk is diversified through all the wine varietals that there is. And some wineries, like we said, is only Cap Classic, where if you come to Chamonix, there will be a big portfolio of different wines. If you go to the other side, there would be wines, not that you find on this side of the valley, but you'll find it on the other side. And that's just because if you go from our side, the sun only comes up late morning, it's much cooler on our side where the sun will, on the other side of the valley again, they get more earlier heat. But then again, on the other side, they get a lot of rainfall again, much more than maybe 400 millimeters a year, more than on the other side. And we're talking about a two kilometer to three kilometer radius between us. On the Chamonix side, again, on the mountain, we've got that southeast wind coming in. It's a very strong wind. So it, Helps with playing diseases away if we've got rain and just before harvest time, you don't want that rain to come down just before harvest. So that wind also helps to dry out the grapes again. 
or dry the water from the grapes and that also prevents a lot of viruses and rot from happening. But on the other side, the wind is not that strong coming from their side. Everyone has the advantage on their farm, but also there's something that maybe like the rain on certain times of the year is not ideal. But then again, you can't complain about nature. You must just work with it. So it's funny because we are basically the only winery owned and managed by a French winemaker in the valley. Some wineries have a French winemaker or French investor, or but like with a French winemaker only and owner, we are one of the only one without a French name of the winery. So that's funny because you have a lot of places with a French name, but the only one owned by a French is not French name. But okay. <laughs> the, the goal that Philippe always say it's not to make French wine in South Africa, it's to make South African wine with a touch and French feeling and some French connection, but not to make what he makes over there here. That's not the goal. Definitely. But you see the barrels are imported from France, obviously, like most of the best barrels. But some tank are from here, the pressing is from here too. So he wants to mix the two technology and the two senses of knowledge of South Africa that can bring here. But we like to be in Franschhoek actually because it, we are quite a confidential winery, not a big one. We produce about 50,000 bottles a year, so it's not too big. And Franschhoek is like that. It's to make confidential wines, not too big wines. So that's why we like it. And every winery will say it. we are like a valley together to make different style of wines to make our valley very interesting to visit and to taste and you won't taste the same one here or at no neighbors because it's not the same and Franschhoek is quite small if you look at the number of hectares of vineyards it's not that big so we have the opportunity to have only vineyards in Franschhoek so we only make wine of origin Franschhoek so that's also nice to have it because a lot of wineries, they buy grapes or they have vines in other places, but we only do French wine of origin wine. So that's also something we really want to keep. We want to promote the appellation and we want to keep this appellation and bring something really from the terroir and the climate here. like to wrap up our podcast with a North American perspective. So in this case, I turn to Christy Frank. And Christy is the owner of Copake Wineworks in Copake, New York, and has been a supporter of South African wines for quite a while. Christy, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, thanks. So what was your impressions of South African wine coming into our conversation? I've been familiar with South African wine since I opened my first wine shop, which was down in Tribeca, which was probably around 2008. So I've been, you know, longtime supporter, longtime drinker, and know my way around a map. I think when we went down and visited, Franschhoek was not on the list of places that we visited. So while I've seen a number of the regions of South Africa, this is one that I haven't had a chance to visit yet. But in my mind, when I first started stocking the wines at my shop, Franschhoek was just one of the regions that was go-to region. My initial impressions of Franschhoek or what you study in the textbook is that this is the region where you find a lot of Rhone-style grapes, very much known for Syrah, known for a lot of Semillon. That's not really a Rhone grape. That's been my kind of textbook impressions of them. When I received the wines and got a Chardonnay and a Chenin, I was excited to try something that was, at least from my background knowledge, a little bit off of what I would have thought of as the beaten track. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, I think one of the reasons on that trip, for example, we didn't go to Franschhoek is, though it has a number of great wineries, very few of them were actually exporting to the U.S. until really just the past couple of years, mm -hmm. where we're seeing more and more of the Franschhoek wineries finding homes here. So it's seeing quite a bit of growth. But I do think there is a question about what its identity is, which you touched on with the different varieties we're talking about. We could have talked about sparkling wine. There's a number of MCC producers based there. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, Semillon, Rhone varieties. But in this case, I went for one variety that's been associated with the area, which is Chardonnay, which ties in with the MCC. And then Chenin Blanc has become obviously the kind of South African calling card. So I thought it'd be great to see how that calling card gets represented in Franschhoek. 
So that kind mm -hmm. of explains where I was coming from with those two varieties. So maybe we should dive right in. Let's start with the Chardonnay. How did this wine come across? I really enjoyed it. I found it to be just a nice balance of some really pretty pure fruit, but I peeked at the tech sheets and there's, I think maybe 25% new oak, there's leaves stirring, there's barrel fermentation, it's got some mallow on it. So it's got a fair amount of winemaking going on, but it held it really well. It's just the sort of Chardonnay as a retailer that I really like to put into people's hands. I think it, it would make a Chardonnay fan, somebody who knows they like Chardonnay, who wants texture, who's what they're going for, would make them really happy. But somebody who's a little bit like, yeah, yeah, I, I don't really want Chardonnay. I love to show them this sort of style of wine, mm -hmm. just with that freshness and the texture. And I found it delicious. So now this is Lamotte, and I would say Chardonnay is one of their specialties, certainly. And I think this is one of those wines that belies the idea that Franchuk is inland. It's not exposed directly to the maritime winds and things, so it's a warmer area mm -hmm. where you produce bigger wines. And here you have the advantage of the elevation. The vineyards are up on the slope. And instead of getting maritime winds, you're getting those convection currents that mountains create. And I think that definitely comes through just in the freshness of the fruit and the brightness of the acidity. I think Lamote, I'm not 100% sure where these vineyards are, but I believe Lamote is a little bit closer to the mouth of the, the valley. I don't know mm -hmm. if that makes any difference in terms of the lightness and the freshness of this wine, but it definitely showed that freshness that I would not immediately associate with a region that I tend to think of as where the Rhone-style grapes come from. Right. Okay. Turning to the Rhone-style grapes. Now, Shannon is not a Rhone-style grape, but certainly <laughs> in South Africa, we tend to see a parallel where Shiraz is grown. We often see Shannon. I think of Swartland, for example, in that case. Mm -hmm. But as we know, Shannon occurs in almost every major region across South Africa, including Franschhoek. So first of all, what's your general take on South African Shannon as a style? And then where does the Holden Mans that you tasted fit into this? When I think of Shannon from South Africa, I have always thought of it as not one style, that there is so much diversity in terms of what Shannon can do in South Africa. And on our shelf, we would have everything from the crisp and clean and super cheerful and fresh entry-level wine that just offered excellent value to wines that would show a little bit more funkiness, a little bit more earthiness, to wines that have a bit of oak to them, some polish, like they're almost like the most interesting Chardonnay in the world. And this one definitely shows its shenanigans. There's a little bit of that earthy shenany button mushroom or whatever the tasting grid term for it is. Mm. But I think there is some oak on this one and it holds it beautifully. And this is sleek. It's polished. It's gorgeous. It's got weight. It's got texture. And the kind of wine that I like to put in the hands of a Chardonnay drinker to show them that, that there's more than just Chardonnay. This is their reserve, so you're right. It definitely mm -hmm. gets a bit more of the bells and whistles that come in the cellar on this particular wine. You mentioned cross-selling this for Chardonnay drinkers. So this is another one to surprise people with. I think it can surprise a lot of people. It's got beautiful texture. It's got beautiful weight. It's got the acidity that just balances the whole thing, but it's a sneaky acid. So somebody that wants a wine with texture and richness, this is that. But the balance with that sort of classic Shenan acid structure is just very apparent. And I know we hear a lot about trends toward lower alcohol wines. This one is not low alcohol. I think it's above 14, but you would have to look at the bottle to know that because it's from a warm place and it's perfectly in balance and has that richness and the alcohol just needs to be there. It gives it that texture and it's so well integrated with everything else. Mm -hmm. I think this is the big secret of South African Chenin Blanc is that it's never going to have those super high acidity you'd find in a Vouvray or a Sauvignon, but it's going to keep a lot of freshness in it, even when it gets to these higher alcohol wines in a warm growing area. Yeah, very much. And I think their old vines are involved in this particular bottle. And I think you also see some of that in just the concentration and the complexity that sort of just sits under that shimmer and that sleekness from the oak treatment. When I first started learning about South African wines, you get the cliche that the wines are a little bit old world, a little bit new world. <laughs> and if anywhere that's, that should be true, it should be in the area that's called the French Corner that speaks to the French having arrived more than 300 years ago. Do these wines show any of that 
cliche to you? A positive cliche, I should say. But Yes, yes. And I think where that cliche comes from, just to break it down, is when we think new world, we tend to think, oh, it's just all about fruit. It's plush, they're clean, they're squeaky. They can be one-dimensional, would be what the cliche says. And then old world is where you would find your complexity and your minerality and all of your structure and your elegance. And if we're going to take those cliches as given, which if we're going to, if we're going to say they're, what, what is, what's it, old world with a blend of old world and new world, then yeah, they definitely, they're the collision of that. Great. We'll have to come back and do this more so we we'll actually look at some reds. I guess I can say to, to people, we had a red wine lined up. It turned out they sent us the Stellenbosch version rather than the Franschuk, so it really wouldn't have represented the, the region. But, but. <laughs> I, it glad. was not Franschuk. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. We could talk for hours about why that's not true, but um, just assuming that's the cliche, I do think these wines definitely show that. There's a beautiful purity of fruit that you get from a place that's blessed with sunshine like South Africa is, but they are not simple. They are not squeaky clean. They are interesting. They're delicious. They're elegant. They're balanced, and they show lots of things going on. I hope you enjoyed this look at Franschuk and its wines. Many of the subjects we touched upon have also been explored in other episodes of our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Method Cap Classique, South African Chardonnay, or other aspects of South African wine, you can find those episodes, as well as links to the producers we talked to today, at our website, wosa.us. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends, or better yet, go to the platform where you found it and leave a review. That will help more people discover it, and discover South African wines. This is our last episode for 2021, but we'll be back next year with more. Please make sure you subscribe so we'll keep you up to date on the Wines of South Africa podcast.